Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. This week, Pastor Murphy begins a new study on the disciplines of the believer's life. Today, we'll see his introduction to this topic and also begin to see the main areas where the world lacks discipline. I want you to turn with me, please, to the book of Timothy. I'll be reading several verses from Timothy. And um, we'll come to our text in chapter 4. But let me read several extracts from this book so you have a, a general understanding of the tenor of the book and the contents of the book and the, the nuance of the book and also the atmosphere of the book. Uh, let's begin from reading verse number 1, First Timothy chapter 1. We read a few verses in every chapter, not many, but I want you to get the gist of what this book is all about. Verse 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my son, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, O Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. And then if you look at chapter 2, just a few verses there, the first few verses, he said, Exhort therefore... That first of all, supplications and prayers and intercession and giving of thanks be made for all men. And then if you go down further, you'll find that he gives certain instructions there about uh, verse 11. Let the women learn in silence with subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, not to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Then look at chapter 3, the first few verses. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desire for good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, etc. And then in chapter 4, first few verses. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to the distant spirits, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidden to marry. And then uh, verse 5, verse 6. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the word of faith and good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained, but refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable in all things, having a promise of the life that is now is and that which is to come. And then in, in chapter 5, he said, Rebuke not an elder, entreat him as a father. He talked about how to treat elderly women and younger women, etc. And then in chapter 6, uh, he talks about the whole matter of uh, masters and servants. And he talks about the need to be careful. Uh, verse 11, But thou, man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith for the whole of eternal life etc. 
Right, my text is actually taken from 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7 and 8. So I want you to look at those verses. But refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profit of little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of life that now is and that which is to come. The key words that I'm looking at this morning in verse 7, where Paul says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for those that are here this morning. We thank you for the entire package of the service in terms of what has preceded the preaching of the word. We thank you for the fellowship of those who are here. Thank you for the good songs we've sung and also the special that we heard just a moment ago. Uh, we just want to praise you uh, for what you are going to do this morning in our service. Lord, we wish we knew the hearts and minds of those who are assembled before us. But we don't need to know because you do know. And we know that you have an adequate instrument that is able to help and deal with specific issues in people's lives. And that great instrument is your word. But it's not just men expounding the word that makes it effective. Our job is to uh, take it, analyze it, uh, bring the meaning and the sense of it to the congregation. We are to present your truth in a way that is understandable, a way that is simple, and a way that shows tremendous respect for your word. But it's not the agency of man that accomplishes your work. It's the Holy Spirit that takes the word, which is the sword of the spirit, and who applies it to the individual lives within a congregation, within a ministry. So we, this morning, are not operating on our own steam. We are fulfilling our God-given responsibility to study and to prepare, to preach. But we recognize that there's another dimension to the ministry, and that's the spirit. And he does a work that I cannot do and no man can do. His job is to convict. His job is to speak of righteousness. And his job is to remind people of judgment to come. It is through his agency that men are brought to faith and trust in Christ. And so this morning as we take your word, we pray that your spirit would use it for your purpose and for your glory. And especially this morning, I pray that we would have a, a definite word for believers. And I ask you that believers in particular would understand that the, the problem in the world is not the world. The world has always been the world and it will never be the world. The problem is the church. The church is not salt, it's not light. And consequently the world rots. And it plunges further and further into darkness. Because a malfunctioning church that neither gives light nor holds back the corruption by being salt. Is just allowing the world to continue in its own course. Headed for swift and fast destruction. So the problem is with us. And I pray we will come to that reality and we will do something about it. And we will not just be content to meet together, to fellowship, to hear the word preach, and to go back home and to come back and just remain the same. Where we repeat an endless cycle of social gatherings 
without any meaningful spiritual impact in our community. May we get tired and weary of this futile exercise. And may we be determined that we will do something to bring about change. And it has to start with us. So help me this morning as I speak specifically to believers uh, on a vital matter that the impact would be felt, but it would also be practiced and implemented and appropriated in the lives of your people. Help me this morning. If you were to do that, Lord, I would be most grateful uh, to thank you for what you've done and going to do in the lives of your people. We pray these mercies in Christ's name. Amen. I want to read our text again before I begin to deal with the matter because this morning I am going to basically be giving you an introduction to a series, a mini-series on discipline. Okay? We are talking about the disciplines of the believer's lives because I think that's our problem. But look at what Paul told Timothy in verse number 7. He said to the young man, But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. In this epistle of 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul is a senior man. He's the aged and experienced apostle. And he's writing the young pastor Timothy who is facing some heavy burdens of having to pastor a very mature church in a place called Ephesus. The tasks for this young man are challenging. Timothy is faced with a series of issues that he has to deal with. There's the inroads of false doctrine already beginning to creep into the church. There's a matter of disorder within the public service, church, uh, public meetings and worship. Uh, women are beginning to misbehave. They're beginning to dominate, to uh, come into the ascendancy. They've been free in Christ and now they want to take over the pulpit. And Timothy has to be advised in that connection. There's also the matter of incipient apostasy. He's warning uh, Timothy in, in chapter 4 about the coming apostasy. And then, of course, there's the big issue of the task of this young man having to develop spiritual leadership in the church. Because that is really the responsibility of a pastor. Now, faced with all these issues, Timothy must guard lest his youthfulness becomes a liability rather than an asset in the ministry. So Paul is saying to the young man that he must do certain things. Paul says to the young man, look, you must flinch or you must keep away from what he calls old wild fables. Don't get messed up in nonsensical, uh, nonsensical uh, mythologies, etc., etc., and all endless genealogies, you know. These are for old women who are at the age of senility who like to deal with these kind of things. So Timothy, you're a young man. Uh, don't get wrapped up in these kind of, of things that have no effect. And then he tells him that not only must he flinch away from these things, but he tells him that certain things you must flee from. You're a young man, flee you for loss. See, don't get wrapped up and sell out your ministry for a cheap 15 minutes with another member of the church. Flee you for loss. Get away from you for loss. And then he told Timothy, you know, flee greed. Don't become a mercenary person, etc., etc. So he's talking to Timothy and he's telling Timothy a lot of things you need to do. And then he said, Timothy, not only flinch these things, not only flee these things, but he said, you've got to fight. And he says, you're going to have to fight the good fight of faith. And then he tells them, there are certain things you've got to follow, Timothy. And he lists to Timothy six different virtues. He says, godliness, righteousness, faith, love, 
patience and gentleness. Follow, pursue these things, etc. Then he tells him one last thing. He says, I want you to focus on something. And what I want to focus on, I want you to exercise yourself unto godliness. Focus on becoming a godly person. But Timothy, to become a godly person, you're going to have to exercise. And the word there, you're going to have to discipline yourself unto godliness. So you find in the book of 1 Timothy, it's a book of charges, a book of directives that are given by Paul in respect to Timothy's pastoral responsibilities. Chapter 1, he charges him and he says that you've got to fight the good fight. Chapter 2, he charges him about public worship and he talks about praying in the service. He talks about the role of women. He talks about pastoral qualifications. He talks about deacons. In chapter 4, he talks about the whole matter of the pursuit of godliness. Chapter 5, he charges him in respect to certain protocols in respect to relationships within the church. He tells Timothy how to treat people in the church. How you treat an elder. How you treat a senior woman. How you treat a young lady. How you treat young men. Uh, he goes down and he talks about what protocol uh, should be in the church in respect to relationships. And then in chapter 6, he talks about Keeping his pastoral motives right, have a servant attitude, and have a sense of contentment. That's an overall picture of what Paul does in the book of 1 Timothy. Now, you might say that Timothy, 1 Timothy is the combat manual. Where Paul is exhorting the young pastor about this, to use the spiritual equipment that God has given to him. And to use that. As he deals with the obstacles and the hardships of the ministry. And as a spiritual father, he's saying to Timothy, don't let your natural timidity uh, hold you down. Be bold as a young man. And uh, God would not have given you this position. You're a young man, but he would not have given you this position unless God was feeling that you were competent to handle the situation. And so he mentions the matter of these particular duties that Timothy has. But there's one area that Paul especially commands him to focus on. And that's our text. Where Paul says to him, exercise yourself unto godliness. If you are going to be successful in this ministry, Timothy, you're a young man. You're dealing with senior people that are far exceed your age and your maturity. What you're going to have to do is to discipline yourself. To become a godly person. Amen. That's the challenge I want to say to you this morning. That Paul is saying to Timothy. That he must discipline himself for the purpose of godliness. By the way, could I say something else to you? That when Paul says to him, exercise yourself under godliness. Or discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Could I say to you that that is in the imperative mood? Now, you know about the indicative mood, the subjective mood, but there's something called the imperative mood. The imperative mood is the mood of command. It's the mood of obligation. What Paul is saying to Timothy here is that I am not offering you here a suggestion. I am not making a request of you. I am saying to you and I'm writing to you that what God has told me to say to you is, young man, I command you to discipline yourself Unto godliness. So it's not a matter if Timothy feels like or not. 
It is something that Timothy has to work on. And Paul wants him to know that it's a command that he's issuing to this young man. And he wants him to pursue godliness, but he cannot pursue godliness without self-discipline. Now, I, I want to uh, talk to you a little bit in this introduction about a few things this morning. First of all, I want to look at the word that Paul uses here, exercise. If you were to take a Greek lex from your, 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 your library or wherever you got, and you check up that word in maybe Strong's Concordance, you discover that the word exercise is the word gymnazo. Does that sound familiar? Yes. What it sounds like? Gymnasium, okay, gymnasium. As a matter of fact, this is the very word that we get the English word gymnasium from. See? Uh, if you were to trace the etymology of this word, of how we got this word into the English language and how it was used, you find that the word originally meant naked. Now, Paul is not telling Timothy, get naked, okay? <laughs> Gym- gymnasio, <laughs> disrobe yourself. But... It's a Greek word. As a Greek word that was used with the Greeks in the Olympics. I don't know. We, we see Olympics people running. They got on what? They got on short pants. Most of them got on the short But you know the Greeks didn't wear anything. When they did the athletics game, they were as nude as they were born. If you hear the history of it, the first time I heard that was on uh, the, when they were given the history of the Olympics. I, I was shocked to hear that. And then when I was doing my study about what this word means and the, going to the etymology, I discovered that in due to fact they were naked. And you know why they were naked? They wanted to be unencumbered. They didn't want anything to stop them from excelling. Clothes would cause them, and, 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 and uh, the, the, the wind wave and so on would cause them to, to, to be less fast, etc. So what they did. They went to the Olympics completely naked. Now, by the way, we think things are bad today, right? That is coming, you know. If you doubt what I'm saying, that is going to happen eventually. We are going to see this cycle return. See? Uh, there is a program now on television uh, that some people are, it's called, uh, they were naked and afraid. I, I cannot believe that anybody would go on television naked. And it's normally a man and a woman. And I'm wondering, wait a minute, he can't be a natural man, she can't be a natural woman. I mean, you going somewhere, they're going to put you for a few days, and you have to survive for several days, and you're naked. Anybody ever saw that? I don't watch it, but I've seen it on television. I hope you don't. But it's there. And by the way, it is very, very popular. People like those things, because we are becoming to the point where we have become so desensitized that we want... Uh, more perversion and more perversion. We want to see more and see more and see more and see more. See, That is the way we are. We, we're totally desensitized. There was a time when you saw that on the television, you turned it off. Yes. Now there are times when believers just sit down and watch it. It's normal. What's wrong with us? We have become desensitized. That has always been wrong. Nakedness is always wrong. For a time man sent God clothed man. See? That is man's problem. But today we're coming to the point where, man, it's like, it's normal. But this word here uh, really meant naked. And the idea was that the Greeks didn't want to be, want their freedom to be impeded when they were running. And then eventually the word morphed. And the meaning became to exercise the train. And it has to do with general discipline. I like what uh, one Christian writer, an author, said about this word. And I, I want to quote what he said. Listen to what he said. 
He said the word exercise or discipline in Timothy is a word that has the smell of the gymnasium in it. It is a, it, it, the word is a, a sweat word for a workout. It is an unabashed call for spiritual sweat. So when Paul says to Timothy, gymnasio, unto godliness, he is saying to Timothy, the same way a gymnast athlete would discipline himself to excel in his, in his skill or whatever, he's saying, I want you to take that same mindset and apply it now in your pursuit of godliness. That's what he's saying to, to Timothy. By the way, there are a lot of us that want to, to have a short track to godliness. We want a short path. There's no easy path. You know what we want? Dear God, help me to be godly. Please help me to be godly. And pesto, godly. <laughs> Paul said, it doesn't work that way, Timothy. If you want to be godly, it's going to require some discipline on your part. It is something you have to work at. So he says to the young man, Gymnasio, exercise yourself unto godliness. And what that really means, uh, by the way, is that you and I are going to have to make this body do what it doesn't want to do. See? By the way, the man that is telling Timothy to exercise himself, himself unto godly, godliness uh, is a man who himself displayed legendary discipline and energy in respect to his own life. The Apostle Paul. Could you look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 for just a moment? You know, it's one thing for somebody to tell you to exercise yourself the godliness, and then you say, but hey, I don't see you doing it. But Timothy could never say that about the Apostle Paul. Look at what he says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, verse number 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and, and verse 24. He says in verse 24, he said, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. He practices self-control. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible I therefore run not as uncertain, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. But I keep my body under and bring it into what? Subjection. This is what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, Timothy, you're a young man. You're at Ephesus. You've got senior people there. They're looking down on your youth and saying, this young, he's too young for this ministry. See? Women are beginning to take over the church, you know. And he said to me, look, I, I want to suggest to you what you need to do. Focus on being a godly person. But in order to be a godly person, you've got to gymnasio. You've got to discipline yourself on the godliness. Now what does that mean? Paul tells us. It means bringing your fleshly desires into subjection to doing God's will. That's what Paul is saying here. In this uh, particular passage. You're going to have to learn to control the body. 
so that you make the body do what it ought to do rather than what it wants to do. See, That is what Paul is saying. Is making your body do the right thing even when you don't feel like doing it. See? That is godliness. I like what one coach, one football coach in America, the coach of the, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, I like how he, what he said on one occasion. I think there's a lot of wisdom in what he said. This is how he described the responsibility as a coach. He said the job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to achieve. What do they want to achieve? They want to be champions. But what they don't want is discipline. So you've got to discipline them in order that they can achieve what they've always wanted to achieve. Now is that not true of the Christian life? May I ask you a question? If you are a believer, I can say one thing about you. There's one thing you've always wanted in your life and that is to be godly. But guess what? It's the one thing you don't want to discipline yourself to do. And that's the job of a coach. To make the body do what it doesn't want to do to achieve what it's always wanted to achieve. And that is why you have to exercise control and discipline of your body. I want to say to you uh, this morning that this is the dilemma of our modern times. Our lack of spiritual discipline. This is the problem with the church. The plight of the modern Christian can be summed up in two words. Self-indulgence. That's the problem with the modern Christian. Self-indulgence. And that is why believers are constantly choosing the path of least resistance. The easy path. That is why words like sacrifice and restraint and discipline presents ideas that are difficult for them to embrace. Because they've become a self-indulgent person. That's the culture. Indulge the flesh. Whatever the flesh wants, do it. The restraining of the flesh and the desires is almost impossible for this generation. It's as though they, they just let go and let. Whatever happens, happens. They don't want the principle of constraint and discipline. It is part of what I call the shallowness of our culture. In reality, we are living in an age that is wired for pleasure. Did you hear what I say? We are living in an age that is wired for pleasure. That is the modern God that rules in the lives of most people. Pleasure. It's the age of weakness. It's the age of indulgence. It's the age of shallowness. It's the age of superficiality. It's the age of invalidism. It's the age of moral impotence. It's the age of neuroses and psychoses. It's the age of indiscipline. And by the way, the evidence is everywhere around us that people today lack discipline. Look at the amount of young people that are leaving home and are not prepared to leave home. Read the newspaper, the little girl or this girl can't find her. Police are, you know, there's no discipline. 
As a matter of fact, a lot of times they'll run away from the home because mommy or daddy trying to impose some curfew. But they don't want that. They want to self-indulge. Look at the amount of students that are quitting school. They go to state college because state college is a fad. And then when the teachers lay the work on them, the fad is gone. So they keep on going up there. Maybe they say they're going to college. They're not prepared to put it into work. And then suddenly they, they drift and they leave. They don't want the discipline. They want a paper that says you've achieved but without achieving. That's what they want. They don't want the hard work of discipline. May I say a word to the young men of the church for just a moment. It's because the girls have got more discipline than you that they're excelling. They're going to be your leaders in the future. I don't know if you know that. They're already leaders in the home. But they're going to be leaders in the future. In banking, they're going to be CEOs. In, in, in op, they're going to be CEOs. Because they have the discipline to study. When you're interested in sports and sex, they are studying. And you're paying a price. An awful price we're paying today. Because they lack this, this. So it's not only seen in, in many young people leaving homes prematurely. It's also seen of so many school dropouts. They don't want the discipline of study. And then, how many people can't keep a job? Listen, it's not uncommon to meet people that got four or five jobs and just finished school, you know. They can't keep a job. They don't have the discipline. Because there are certain demands that are made on them when they get on a job. They don't, they don't like, I don't like the boss. I don't like how much I got to do. How much you do? Indiscipline. So they can't hold on to anything for any length of time. And they got a, a big dozen, yeah. All curriculum vitae. They got titles from here to the moon. But they can't get a job. You know why? They can't keep a job. You know why? They don't have any discipline. It's seen everywhere. But it's also seen in ch- members who neglect their church. Hmm, you didn't want to hear that one, right? Yeah. They don't have the discipline. And by the way, they're always late when they come to church. You know why? They don't have the discipline. They're not prepared to discipline themselves. And by the way, if you're going to have an impact on, me- uh, on visitors coming to the church... The only way you can have an impact of visit coming to church is when they come to see you. But they get 20 minutes before you and then you walk in 30 minutes late. They say, wait a minute, these are jokers. Coral jokers. Would you not think that way? They're not serious. So the problem of discipline is a real run the church has to, a simple matter like coming on time. And when you tell believers you should come on time, they get angry with you. I got things to do. No, I don't have anything to do, right? And the other people get it, don't have anything to do. It's just that they see it as important. And whatever you see as important, take it from me. You will make the time and the effort to get it done. It's all nonchalant attitude or don't careish attitude or lackadaisical mindset. See, uh, it's all a problem. And to change that, it requires discipline. And all part. So pastor, I got to cook. Do you know my wife cooks before she comes to church? You know that? 
My wife gets up 4 o'clock in the morning. Now, you may not be able to get up now. But she has to do it. Because if she doesn't do it, it means that when we get home from church, she now got to cook. So she has to discipline herself to get up and cook. And she doesn't do it at night and put it in the fridge and then it's so cold. Can't enjoy it. No, no. No, she prepared. It takes discipline. And by the way, that is why that is carried over into her spiritual life. That she can get up four o'clock every morning and have a time of prayer and prayer Bible study consistently. It affects every other part of her life. Sometimes I sit there and I hear what the Lord is doing in her life. I say, Ori, I wish you wouldn't say that. Because the people might think, just think you're boasting. That's my mindset. You're the pastor's wife, so people expect that to be said by you. But you know what? I would never stop her. Because God is working in her life and she's sharing her testimony. And I know what she's saying is real. Genuine and authentic. See? So even though many, many times I want to go to tell her, you know, you've you got to be a little bit careful what you say there. I say, you know, let the Lord have its way in her life. Because she has a life with God that is so personal that I envy. See? I envy. But I'll tell you one thing. She didn't reach there without discipline. Every morning she gets she journalizes her life. What happened in the, the day before? Journalize it. She told me when I when I dead, you're gonna read my manual though. <laughs> I wonder what she's gonna say about me. <laughs> I gotta be nice to that lady boy. <laughs> I wonder what she's gonna say about me. I gotta be nice to her. But every single morning she journalizes her life. I've never read the journal. But she told me when I dead, you're gonna read it though. See? And so on. But that's discipline. We don't. Then of course, the discipline, the indiscipline of our time is also seen of so many couples who are just breaking up so quickly. They're not prepared to work with their marriages. I get the impression that people going to marriage saying, well, you know what? You can jump into bed if that doesn't work, I can leave. You get another person and get married. That's the mindset. When I got married, it is listen, woman, I married to you. And you can do look, we married until we die here. So if you don't want me now, you better tell me now because I ain't giving you a divorce and divorcing you, you can do what, but I am married for life. That was my mindset, still is. But that's not this generation, this generation going to marriage and the idea is, well, if it doesn't work out, I can always remarry. Not Pastor Murphy remarrying you, though. Find somebody else, but not me. Not me. And don't invite me to your second wedding either. I ain't coming. Marriage is a serious thing. It is until death. It's a vow you make. It's a commitment you make. But it can't work except you work and add it. You've got to exercise discipline in your marriage. Otherwise it can't work. So the problem I'm saying to you is the problem of discipline is it's a, it's a monumental modern problem that people are faced with. Let me mention just three main areas of indiscipline in modern society. There, just mention these. Let's talk, let's take the area of morality for just a moment. One of the greatest crises facing our modern times is the crisis of morality. Do you know that? It seems that there is a universal lack of moral restraint. Could I say this way? Sex and pornography are the dominant vices of our time. 
is the, the amount of sex you see, it is fueled by something called pornography. It's the gas that is being thrown on the fire. So we are living in a day where there is seem to be no moral restraint. And there's a selfish passion called Eros. Dressing up as something called agape. Going around and deceiving people saying, I love you. Stalking the world. Eros claiming to be love. And people are falling for it right, left and center. The indiscipline of our time is indicative of the immorality that is rampant in our society. If people can't control their most intimate part, which is their sex life, they can't control anything else. And I tell you, it's a real, real big problem. So we have a sex-saturated age, energized by the fuel of pornography, and it's eating up and killing our generation. When I was a boy, we used to sing a song. Where have all the young girls gone? You ever heard that song? Modern people can't sing that song anymore, you know. They now sing along the song. Where have all the virgins gone? That's what they, that's the modern song. Things have changed so drastically. So drastically. And this lack of discipline is manifested in the rampant immorality that is destroying our generation. And there don't seem to be anybody to put brakes on it. Let me give you some statistics, by the way. And I, I, I feel sometimes for the Americans, I must tell you, because the only statistic we got is from America. These islands of ours, you can't get any statistics on morality, how much abortions are done, how many immoral people, how many... You can't get that. Where you get it from? So, but I'll tell you this. The trend in America is the trend in the Caribbean. America's culture has permeated the entire world. So the standard and whatever is happening there is happening here. Today, because of our lack of control in the air of morality, we now have 25 STDs. In my day, they only had two. Syphilis and gonorrhea. They used to call it a clap. When a man had a clap, gonorrhea. That's what we used to call it, the clap. You ever heard that one? Yeah. Now you got 25. It moved from two to 25. In America, every year, 15 million Americans become infected with an STD. 15 every year. 15 million. One five. That's more than all the people in the Caribbean together. Every single year. Do you know that 65 million Americans, by the way, this is taken from the, uh, the disease control uh, statistics. 65 million Americans are now living with an infectious disease that's incurable. 65 million. Either HIV or herpes, genital herpes. 65 million of them. That's a staggering figure. But let me tell you something. If you take the statistical comparison, it's no different than in the Caribbean. We don't have 15, uh, 65 million people. But take the, the proportion is the same. I read in the papers the other day uh, that they have a thousand people in Antigua that had, uh, have uh, HIV from the time it started until now. 200 died and that leave 800. But I'm saying to myself, I counsel. And I know this, the average woman that comes to me for counsel before she married, she's been through three men. The average man that comes to me for counsel before she married, has been through five, five women. 
So multiply 800 by 3 and by 5, and that gives you the statistics. It's a serious problem. It's a horrific problem, but people can't seem to control their sexual desires. Do you know the most common STD today? It's something called HPV. It's called the human papilloma virus. The most common STD today. You think people, talk, people talk about AIDS and herpes and people's skin, but they don't talk about this one. Yet this virus is responsible for 90% of all the cervical cancers in women. 90% of cervical cancer. And I'm told that 50% of all people who are sexually active will have this disease. It's a much wider problem than people are thinking. By the way, you know how America is dealing with this HPV problem? How do you think they're dealing with it? They're taking 11-year-old and 12-year-old guys and vaccinating them. So that by the time they become sexual active, they won't get the disease. Now imagine that. I'm preparing your 11 and 12 to get sexual active. But you want to know the truth about HCDs? We can solve this STD problem in one generation. One generation, we can solve this problem. It would take a disciplined generation to get rid of all of these STDs. But who in here is optimistic? Anybody optimistic about that? And I'll tell you why you're not optimistic. Because you know yourself that you're not disciplined. So you can't expect the other young man to be disciplined, the young lady to be disciplined, because you are not disciplined. It's a mon- mon- monstrosity, a-, a huge problem. So I'm talking about the need for exercising yourself this, onto godliness. But I'm looking at discipline from a wider perspective to, see, to you to see the real problem. By the way, if we can't discipline ourselves onto godliness, how is the world going to discipline itself onto morality? I just saw in the papers recently too, I, I cut it out. That in England, they're now warning the English people that gonorrhea is no longer going to be curable. Did you read that? There's no strain of gonorrhea. Uh, uh, and, and I understand the reason with the regimen of drugs that are supposed to deal with it, people only given one, one particular. So what that has created, the, the virus has now mutated, as it were, and become much stronger. So what people used to call a cat now is going to death row. Can't deal with it. But ask yourself, how we got there? How we got to this position in life? How, how, how in society we should stay? It's because we don't have the discipline to, to control our sexual lives. And now we're paying an awful price. You know the saddest thing about all of this? Let me tell you what the saddest thing is about all this. That the adults can't tell the young people anything. Because they throw it back in your face. But what, what do you used to do? See? Their ungodly lives have now hindered them from ministering and mentoring the young generation. Listen, if anything is going to change, it's not going to change in society. It has to change in the church. The church is the last hope for society. And we must take the Christian faith seriously. And when Paul says to Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness... We must understand that that is our responsibility. 
as well. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us more areas where the world, and even believers, lack discipline. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.